Welcome to the Arate Podcast. My name is Richard Triggs, and today's guest is Steve Greenwood, Chief Executive Officer at the Queensland Futures Institute. It's fantastic to have you along today, and I'm looking forward to bringing this conversation to you with Steve. The Queensland Futures Institute is something that I really wasn't familiar with before talking to Steve, but it certainly sounds like a fascinating organisation, and he has a very interesting background, which we will get into in a lot of detail. But before I formally introduce Steve to you, let me briefly introduce myself for those people who are unfamiliar with the Arate podcast. My name is Richard Triggs, and I'm the managing partner of Arate Executive, and we recruit CEOs, senior leaders, and non-executive directors for our clients throughout Australia. We also provide a range of career coaching and advocacy services for senior executives and non-executive directors who are looking for their next role. So if we can be of any assistance to you, I'd welcome the opportunity to have a conversation. Anyway, let me now introduce to you, Steve Greenwood. After completing a bachelor's degree in environmental science and a diploma in education, Steve Greenwood commenced his career working in local government in Queensland. After working in both Brisbane City Council and the Local Government Association of Queensland, he then moved into the role of Executive Director Queensland at the Property Council, followed by CEO at Cane Growers Australia. He's been in his current role as the Chief Executive Officer at the Queensland Futures Institute for approximately three years. Steve's also completed a Master's Degree in Urban and Regional Planning and the Company Director's Course with the AICD. Sit back and enjoy this conversation with Steve Greenwood. Okay, so Steve, welcome to the Aritate Podcast. It's great to have you along uh, on what has been a very foggy Brisbane winter's morning. Um, uh, Thanks for joining me. And uh, perhaps just to begin with, if you could let us know about your current range of professional responsibilities. Thanks, Richard. And look, thanks for the invitation. Uh, I'm currently the CEO of the Queensland Futures Institute. Uh, We're a relatively new organisation and we, uh, the, the idea for the organisation uh, was come out of recognition that governments at all levels uh, appear to be struggling with coming up with new ideas, new solutions uh, uh-huh. for the growth of the community, both social and economic growth. Uh-huh. So uh, I, uh, over a few red wines, uh, with a, a very good colleague of mine, Jim McNulty, yes. a well-known uh, chairman and very experienced businessman around town, we came up with this new idea mm-hmm. about setting up a new a new organisation that sits between government. It's not an industry body. Uh, we don't represent any sector, mm-hmm. uh, but our our broad mandate is to do what we can to come up with new ideas and solutions for the social and economic growth of Queensland. So the last uh, two and a half years, I've been setting that up. Right. Um, it's been a lot of fun. I've gone from a uh, quite a well resourced CEO's role to a uh, Largely, uh, well, not a sole operator, but almost like that, uh, where every dollar dollar counts. Mm-hmm. Uh, but thoroughly enjoying it, um, setting up the organisation, 
new governance processes, new funding opportunities. But the, I suppose the most enjoyable thing for me has been uh, putting together our council, which is a group of Queensland's leaders. Mm -hmm. So we've now got most of the vice chancellors, a lot of the CEOs, chairmen uh, from across Queensland. Still looking for more, of course, but we've got a core uh, group of uh, leaders that, from a very diverse range of backgrounds, ranging from uh, Julian Elro, the head of the airport, who's yep. the president, right through, like I said, the vice chancellors, uh, Channel 9's involved, mm -hmm. uh, News Corp's involved, right through to the heads of uh, Red Cross, uh, also St Vinnie's. Peter okay, Martin, yeah, Vinnie's, yeah, Peter, yeah. yeah. And um, the idea, yeah, the reason we're doing that is I'm of the belief that you pull together a, a very diverse group of very smart people, uh, present them with some challenges, they'll come up with some really great solutions. Mm -hmm. And that's 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 proving uh, right. right right now. So, you know, and so, you know, we're apolitical. Yes. We're apolitical um, and independent. And they're two, two uh, words that are very easy to say and very, very hard sure. to, to, to stick to. Uh, but that's what we're trying to do. You know, and so we work alongside both all sides of politics uh, to drive and come in with ideas and solutions. Okay, where government's struggling. Yeah. So um, uh, I'm interested when you you, you had some lines with uh, Jim and and you mm. sort of came up with this idea. Was part of the process of creating it looking at other cities, perhaps globally, that had similar type uh, uh, orientations and looking at what they were doing. Yeah, exactly. So in setting this up, I looked around Australia initially and okay. I looked at uh, some of the Committee for Sydney, Committee for Melbourne, uh, the Grattan Institute, which is a think tank, Lowy Institute. Right. Uh, those sort of organisations, as well as a number in the States, the Brookings Institute, mm -hmm. all very different organisations. So what we've come up with is a slight amalgam of all those things. Right. Uh, so we... And I try to avoid using the word think tank because mm -hmm. in my mind that's that's all I do is think they don't actually do anything. Right. So I, I just ascribe ourselves crudely as a think and do tank. Right. Um, but yeah, so we looked around, uh, looked at some of the uh, examples of what's going on. And I think the, the big thing for me was that Queensland is a very different uh, place in that we're highly regionalised. Uh -huh. We had a Brisbane Institute. Uh, it did some great things in its day, but it uh, it wound up about the same time we, we put this together right, too. Yeah. So, but this is focused on Queensland and no other state in Australia has that. Uh -huh. So that's, I think it's unique. And yeah, hopefully over time we'll be able to actually, uh, based on the learnings, the trials and tribulations of setting up a new organisation, mm -hmm. we'll be able to take that down to New South Wales and Victoria. Okay. Um, and so uh, I understand, you know, the mandate is uh, economic and social growth mm. for Queensland. Mm. But when you bring that down to some tangible, definable um, outcomes, what are, what are some of the key uh, priorities at the moment? Some of the key priorities, we, uh, we, we actually have established them through a series of policy committees that are actually acting on okay. these things. So one of the ones that's uh, close to my heart is trying to improve uh, business and research collaboration. Right. Uh, we had a, our first ever annual summit Future Summit last year, and at the uh, on the session we had a whole lot of the vice chancellors on stage, mm -hmm. number of experienced business leaders, and it was chaired by uh, uh, Professor Ian Fraser, mm -hmm. uh, moderated, and he was very good at that. Um, but the I think it was broadly acknowledged by the panel that 
in Queensland, we have some of the be- you know, world's best researchers, mm-hmm. uh, best universities. We have some very, uh, very good, very successful businesses, but the interaction between right. the two is is very limited. Right. Um, so you're talking about CRCs or something different? To well, that? it's more broadly. It's more about uh, the business community engaging more closely okay. with our research institutions right. and actually leveraging those connections to do better yeah. and vice versa. Right. Know? So in the states, it's it's you know it's a it's a well known thing that researchers and uh, the business community they interact very very closely. They've got different ways of doing things mm-hmm. over here. Not so much. And so we had a two-hour session where that was the topic of discussion. Okay. And there were no answers. Right. So we all recognised the problem, but there were no answers. And so we've now got a policy committee uh, uh, looking at that. That's chaired by um, uh, Carolyn Mountford, who's the CEO of the Translational Research Institute. Okay. Right. And a number of universities, number of uh, businesses. And we're hoping to come up with some pragmatic things that we can do within six months that'll actually Mm -hmm. start... Uh, working towards that. That's one of the ones. The other ones we're looking at is around um, energy. We've done a fair bit on energy uh, reform. In fact, we released a, we call, a, you've heard of a white government white papers and green papers, or yes. we and orange paper. Okay. So it's all about solutions, not problems. All right. Um, and we released one on uh, midway through last year about solar policy. Right. Uh, and without going into the detail, uh, it was quite successful in the government has adopted the recommendations in that report. Mm-hmm. So that was good, yeah. So uh, other, other areas, food and agribusiness, mm-hmm. was big for Queensland. Um, we've got a broad one on innovation, another one on financing Queensland's growth, and we've just, uh, in fact, tomorrow morning, second meeting of our attracting uh, capital. Okay. So very broad. Very sure. Broad. Yeah. And so you reach out to... Uh, leaders within education and business and, and other areas and, mm. and engage them to want to participate. Mm. And then is the agenda set by basically asking them, okay, what's hot for you right now? Yeah. And let's um, compare notes and look for some common themes. It's that, that's that, it's that simple. Right. It's that simple. And uh, it was amazing. The first uh, strategic planning session that we had, which was a gathering of the council, uh, I was... And it was heavily, at that stage, it was heavily weighted towards the the business sector. It's probably more balanced now in terms mm-hmm. of community research and business. Um, and I was quite surprised that the first issue that came on, yeah, clearly put on our agenda, was the reef, protection of the reef. Right. And the importance and recognition of the barrier reef to the future growth of Queensland. Sure. And, it was, I, and I think just from that alone, it reinforced to me that what we're, we're actually on the right path here. Because mm-hmm. it's the last thing you'd expect a group of business people, normally, you know, yeah. gut feeling, you wouldn't think that they go, oh, no, it's that issue, you know. But it clearly came out and rose mm-hmm. to the surface very quickly. Right, okay. Mm-hmm. And um, I'm keen to talk right through your professional background, which we'll do in mm-hmm. a minute. But yes. uh, I suppose for you, you're in a CEO role. Mm-hmm. It must have been quite a brave, um, you know, decision to step away from, you know, corporate uh, salaried, you know, um, careerist into a startup, really, where I suppose you just had to take a leap of faith, didn't you? Yeah, look, and that well, that's that's right. The I suppose one of the great drivers for me was that uh, I was getting to well, I was getting close to fifty. I'm now fifty now. Right. Um, where I thought I can go move back into the executive field, which I enjoy doing, love it. Um, but I think one of the things was if I don't actually do something different now, I'll never do it. Sure. You know, and so 
when uh, Jim and I were having a few wines, it was one of those things where, and Jim's a, a, a fantastic, you know, he, Jim was innovating before the you know, term became very trendy, you know, mm-hmm. and, and Jim's a high energy person. He said, let's do this. And he's a quieter, once, once uh, Jim gets enthusiastic behind something, uh, about something, it's uh, it's all go. Sure. So he he was a great mentor in that that startup phase. Okay, too. Yeah. great. Yeah. Well, let's uh, let's go back and then come forward. To yeah. That. So uh, I like to uh, have a chat about where it all began. So mm. talk to us about uh, where you were born and mum and dad, brothers and sisters, mm. and your early life. Yeah. Look, I had a a, a fantastic childhood. I uh, was born in uh, in far north Queensland in a little town called Mossman. Oh yes. North of Cairns. Yes, Mossman Gorge. Yeah, Mossman Gorge, and I uh, we were quite lucky as uh, just my brother and I. Uh, and, to, and parents, of course, and yep. we uh, grew up on the northern beaches, uh, north of Mossman. Right. And uh, we had a house right on the beach. So our life lifestyle was very, right, very relaxed, very beach focused, as much as you can up there with stingers sure. and crocodiles and all those things. <laughs> what did your parents do? Um, so dad, uh, dad had a few jobs. He worked in the sugar mill as, okay. a, as a, a manager in there. Then he worked. Then he moved to, in, into the local council. Okay. In an administrative role there. Mum was a well, dedicated mother, um, but also doing a lot of school um, teachers' aid sort of work right. too. Right. Okay. Yeah. And um, so lived there for the first ten years, then moved up to the Atham Tablelands uh-huh. and lived and went through uh, the rest of primary school and high school. Uh, and again, the lifestyle up there was just fantastic. In Atherton itself. In Melander, we were. Oh, right. So a small dairy. Yeah. Yes, community. And, I lived uh, in uh, Cairns for four years, oh, uh, ninety-five to ninety-nine, and Melanda chocolate milk was uh, quite a delicacy. Well, uh, <laughs> oh, absolutely. Well, I, um, I, uh, when I was uh, coming down to university, I'd go home for the Christmas holidays. And right. For, I think for five years, I worked in the dairy factory in the okay. cheese section. Right. And uh, morning tea was always. Chocolate milk. Of course. Uh, I had Aidan Coleman, the uh, CEO of Bigger Cheese, on the uh, mm. podcast recently. Uh, uh, all right. Okay. So um, your dad was uh, in the uh, local council in mm. Mossman. Yeah. And he moved council. in um, within council into... Africa. Yeah. So he moved up to Eachamshire Council. Okay. And, um, uh, and I think for him it was a in recognition that for my brother and I, who's 18 months younger than I, that once we'd settled in uh, Milana, which is a lovely little community, yeah. Um, uh, for him, he I think he made a call. That that's where where he's going to stay in terms of his career while we finished high school, right. which was a big call for him because sure. um, he'd always wanted to be a shy clerk, which is now a CEO's role. And, okay. And in fact, I think it was uh, as soon as my brother uh, left home to come to university in Brisbane. Uh, he then applied for and got a, the Shire Clark's job and right. out far west and all that sort of okay, stuff. Okay, right. So, but so it was a recognition for for us, yeah, which is a big thing, I suppose, for someone to actually put their career on hold. Yeah. For the uh, stability of their of their kids and that sure. Yeah. Older or your younger brother? Younger brother, eighteen okay. months younger. So you went to university first. I did. Down uh, in the big smoke. Yeah, I did. And look, and I I, I try and explain to my kids the significance of that um, now because. You know, coming from Melanda, a very small country town, to the big city of Brisbane, in those days there were no mobile phones, there was no email, there was no internet. The uh, the dislocation was significant. Mm-hmm. I was fortunate; I had a couple of friends come down with me. Yeah, but it was a significant thing, and I, I still remember that. You know, on a Sunday night after eight o'clock, which is when the phone calls were far cheaper, mm-hmm. all the Italian country kids walking down to the 
uh, payphone because that's all we had. Yeah. And their their pants were bulging with twenty cent pieces, <laughs> and they pile them on top of the phone yeah. and start shoving them in, and ten dollars a go, you know, within five minutes. Sure. And so and you went it. to Griffith Uni. Went to Griffith and uh, Bachelor of Environmental Science. I did. What was the attraction to that particular course? Um, it's one of those things where I was solely the, I was good at science. Yeah. And I, uh, one of those days, I went and spoke towards the end of grade twelve. Spoke to our guidance counsellor, and he said, "Oh," and I said, "He asked me what I want to do." And so I've got no idea. He said, "Oh, there's this, this great course in this new university down in Brisbane called Griffith University. It's called environmental science. It's all about science." And he said, "Do you want to do that?" And I said, "Oh, that'll do." Right. And it was that simple. Yeah. Uh, and I think I went home and told my parents, and they were most distraught uh, in that going, "What's this environment stuff?" You know? Sure. Because in those days. This was uh, 82, uh, you know, the word environment was not seen very positively in yeah. Queensland, let me tell you. Yeah, sure. Well, so, uh, it was all, it was a time of the big sort of activist that's right. uh, type movements. Yeah, yeah the, the uh, Tasmanian Dam that's right, stuff yeah. was long off. And then there was the uh, the road up through the Daintree. Yeah. And so, so you um, went to the Nathan campus? I did. And did you there. live on campus? I did. I right. Lived, you lived in the service residences for the first year. Okay. Then moved to the uh, the flats after that. And right. Look, all in all, it was a a good experience, but I think you know, in, in terms of hindsight, it's one of those things that and it's a good degree. It's a yeah. really good. But I call it the arts degree of the sciences. Sure. You, know, you yeah. did a little bit of everything. So I think I think that's been good for me. But sometimes I think maybe if I'd specialised mm -hmm. early on. Mm. It would have been better for me, but you know. yeah. Well, I mean, Griffith was a funny place then. I did my uh, undergraduate there, uh, Bachelor of Commerce, but when yeah. I started, it was called a Bachelor of Social and Industrial Administration, <laughs> and it was very much a sort of a, a lefty green yeah. uh, kind of a campus, wasn't it? Oh, very left. And I think, in hindsight, I yeah, I did that didn't attract me at all. Right. You know, I, I probably in hindsight, I would have probably would have enjoyed, even though I did enjoy myself. I probably would have got more out of a year Q or sure. a QT, which yeah. is yeah, yeah. And did you have a job while you were going through your undergraduate? No, no, I didn't work when I was doing it, but you know, like I was saying before, every time I'd go back for the holidays, I'd right. spend the 10 weeks or whatever it was yeah. working, you know, 24 7 at the uh, milk factory, yeah. uh, packing cheese, right. and um, that got me through the rest sure. of the year. Sure, okay. Yeah. And so when you finished your uh, undergraduate degree, what happened then? Well, there were no jobs. Okay. You know, not surprisingly, there were no jobs, and uh, a good mate of mine, still a good mate of mine, we sat down and um, uh, remember our education was free yep. in those days, and we uh, thought, oh, well, we might as well keep studying, there's no jobs. And so our criteria were, we'd worked out that we were going to go and study where, you know, doing a course where the most girls were. Right. It was that simple. Yeah. And the choice got down to either nursing or teaching. And there was no way we were going to do nursing. I'm surprised. So I went teaching. No, or psychology. No, 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 no. That would, <laughs> would take too much effort. So teaching it was. And right. so we both, and at that stage, the uh, the Queensland government, there was a, a, a real shortage of uh, science, maths teachers. Yeah. Uh, and a shortage of teachers generally, which mm -hmm. seems to be the norm in and goes in cycles. And so they had a, a diploma in education one year. Right. So... Um, well along did that. One of the best things I've done. It was great. Great. And so uh, after you finished that, did you work as a teacher? No. No, no. That was uh, one of those strange stories where um, I actually did, you know, I did science maths teaching and um, did very well in the practice teaching. Really enjoyed it. Mm -hmm. uh, and I um, 
I had visions of going to teaching at uh, Weeper or a Thursday Island or yeah. Town or you know really have, live it up and have a, a, a what I thought was going to be a great life. And um, uh, when I and I at the end of your teaching diploma, you have an interview process with the departmental people. I was very explicit in what I wanted, and uh, they the, my first offer was that they wanted to send me to Kerwin uh, uh, High in Townsville, which right. is the largest. Yeah, schools in Queensland, and I said, "Oh no, I don't really want to go. They want to go to one of the small towns. Sure, I've done very well. I've got science, maths. So yeah, I want to go there." And they said, "Oh no, we want you there." And I said, "Well, I'm not going." And they said, "No, no, but that's where you're going." And I said, "No, I'm not doing it." So that was right. the end of my teaching career. Right. Uh, that simple. Whereas normally it would be they would struggle to find people to want to go to these, uh, you yeah. know, uh, isolated towns. Exactly. Right. Well, that's interesting. Yeah, it was just, you know, it was, it was, and there were colleagues of mine who were being dragged, kicking and screaming and crying yeah. up to these towns. And you right. Just, and I think from then I was, I could afford to be uh, young in principles. I had no, you know, nothing tying me down. Sure. I went, well, bugger it. I'll okay. do something else. So into the Brisbane City Council. Yeah, well, I took a bit of a, so I went uh, labouring for a bit. And then I joined BCC in their graduate program. Okay. And uh, and that was a good experience. Um, the uh, I did a whole lot of financial stuff, uh, paid a whole lot of plumbers for a couple of months. And uh, I tell you what, when you get the uh, uh, when you get the pay wrong for a plumber, they soon let you know at the I front bet. counter there they're thumping the counter. Right. <laughs> so it was yeah, good fun, good fun. So how long were you uh, doing that graduate program? Yeah, well, I, I moved from there and I actually moved into the environment area. Okay. I had to just start up an environment area. Mm -hmm. Moved in there um, for a couple of years, which was quite valuable. Mm -hmm. uh, then took a year off, went around the world, did the old backpacking thing. Okay, was, on your own? No, I had a, then my then girlfriend, who then subsequently became my wife. Yes. Uh, we travelled for a while. Um, and then I travelled a little bit myself too, okay. a couple of months by myself. Lived in London for okay. a number of months, working right. in pubs, and that was all really one of those experiences that, as a as a kid, you can only say to your kids, "You've got to do that sort yeah. of stuff." You know, There's... one of my great regrets is I didn't do that. Mm. But uh, I imagine it would have been uh, uh, quite um, the making of uh, people in terms of uh, being tenacious and. Entrepreneurial and yeah, yeah. yeah. and self-reliance too. I think you know by the end of it, I was totally self. You know, I was very confident I could move to a city, work at where I could uh, find a place to stay, you know, go and find some things to do, meet mm -hmm. some people, and that was a really valuable thing to do. Mm -hmm. You make some serious mistakes, and we've got twice, but right. you know, so. Uh, but that's part of the learning. Yeah. yeah, and then back to Brisbane and off to local government. Yeah, so I uh, came back and then moved over to the Local Government Association of Queensland, and probably with hindsight, that was one of the you know, significant, one of the significant moves for me because um, I finally found a, a culture and a business environment which I thrived in. Okay, I really thrived in. And what was it that you liked the most about it? I had two uh, two mentors who I even you know touch base with every now and again now, but uh, Greg Hoffman uh, and Greg Hallam, the head of the LGAQ, and uh, uh -huh. both very different people, but both uh, created a culture and a business environment and an attitude towards uh, work and, <laughs> and having fun too, uh, which I just meshed with and okay. so thrived in that sort of environment. Mm -hmm. yeah. mm -hmm. And you were with them for a few years? I was about over 10 years. Right, yeah. okay. Yeah. And, uh, and what eventually took you away from there? Well, I, uh, I, I look, I 
to be honest, I probably the last few years there. I mean, I knew my job inside. I was I'm currently I was the uh, head of all the planning and environment area, mm-hmm. um, and I was not being challenged. You know, it was mm-hmm. far too easy. Uh, and then the job at the, uh, the Queensland head of the property council came up. Mm-hmm. Um, I went for that. I got that at the same time. I went for the deputy CEOs or head of policy, I think it was, at the uh, Master Builders. I got both jobs offered to me, right. one on a Friday, one on a Monday, uh-huh. and they had to make a call. And uh, once I'd made the fantastic call, mm-hmm. uh, the property council, uh, well, I joined at the end of 2007, the GFC hit midway through 2008. I remember it well. Oh, it was uh, one of the hardest things I've ever done in my life. Right but the most rewarding to actually sure. guide an organisation through that absolute pain mm-hmm. uh, and just bring it out the other side. Mm-hmm. So very rewarding. Mm-hmm. A lot of sleepless nights. Sure. One of the things that, uh, you know, uh, during that time with local government, mm-hmm. you obviously made some decision to invest further in your ongoing professional development mm-hmm. and did some uh, additional uh, qualifications. Um Masters in urban and regional planning. Yeah. Uh, what motivated that? The uh, it was actually I, I kicked that process off uh, when I was at the Brisbane City Council, and there's a my then uh, manager uh, was a woman by the name Mary Ma, mm-hmm. and uh, uh, and uh, Mary's got she's very left green views, but she recognised for me that. Um, yeah, there'd be value in me actually doing some, some more of a almost a mainstream mm-hmm. degree, and so she said, "I oh, have a look at this graduate diploma down at QUT," and um, so I kicked off that. Then I went overseas, took a break, then came back, transferred over to UQ, uh, and that's been a really, I think, doing that those studies part time mm-hmm. uh, has been very valuable because it actually. Uh, it enabled me to move into areas that I wouldn't have done, particularly the property areas. It mm-hmm. gave me a deep understanding of property issues. Uh, and I think that was one of the major contributors to me moving to the property council. Sure. Mm. Okay. Uh, so it's interesting uh, you, you talk about having two really good mentors early mm. in your career mm. and uh, the importance of ongoing professional education. Mm. Um and then obviously your career has lent itself towards, so you've had a you know a personal preference to work in this association mm. type mm. professional body space. Mm. At any point, did you sort of think I wouldn't mind getting out and jumping into you know a corporate environment or you know uh, with a development company or in in other areas? I, I have considered that. I suppose I really I haven't actually ever pursued that. I. I must admit, I really enjoy the peak industry body leadership. Mm-hmm. Um, I, gr- I get immense reward out of the advocacy role yes. in terms of public policy. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think one of the significant things in my career, particularly well, when I was at the Property Council, is that I led a campaign for six weeks about a, against a proposed land tax. Uh, well, there's a land valuation change that was um, then from the Bly government. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it was a particularly, well, it was a massive issue. It was in, in those days, I think I've heard it referred to, it was the Queensland's example of the mining tax okay. at that period. But people forget very quickly. Sure, yeah. But at that stage, it was uh, a very significant thing. It dominated not only the local papers, but also the Fin Review and some of the national papers too. And... Um, and um, the uh, the outcome of that 
was, you know, we had numerous um, uh, came, uh, ads in the paper, all those sort of things, ads on the radio, um, and it was an out-and-out -out fight with the then government, uh, who were just said it you know, right at the start, sort of said, we're not changing, this is how it's going to be. Right. And we um, we turned it around. Okay. We turned it around, so, and when I say we, it was, the way I approached it was, it wasn't just the property industry, uh, mm -hmm. part of what we did was actually brought in a whole lot of partners. Mm -hmm. So partner organisations, including the mining council, including the agriculture, uh, some of the social side, uh, tourism, brought them all together. And uh, I remember the ads in the paper had all these logos all over it. as a very powerful, very effective way. Mm -hmm. um, but I think you, as, a, as a head of an industry body or a sector or body, you'd never want to get to that stage. Mm -hmm. you know, you'd like to think that your relationships with the government of the day and the science that you put behind your your uh, arguments are such that you will you don't need to actually have an out and out fight with the government. You never want that. It's always last resort. Yeah. But it's even when if you ever get to that stage, it's your you the way you do that is very important. And mm -hmm. so I, I took out of that a, a, a sense of pride in the fact that I always focused on the issues, the facts. And never the people. Mm -hmm. uh, whereas the uh, the then minister was attacking me personally mm. and doing everything he could to discredit me as a person, and it was quite quite ugly and that sort of side, that side of things. But my, I took a very professional approach, which mm -hmm. was look, this is these are the problems, these are the facts, and had very good legal advice and a whole lot of partners all sort of saying the same thing. And eventually, to the credit of the uh, uh, um, uh, Premier Bly. Uh, she recognised that this was a bad policy decision. Mm -hmm. uh, she uh, talked her cabinet around, and um, and they made a and, and the then treasurer uh, at the time. Uh, they recognised that there was a problem. They 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 stepped back, um, and we achieved what we wanted. So mm -hmm. it was a, that six weeks though was a very you know, it was immense because I my career was on the line. Sure, yeah. I'd spent I spent hundreds of thousands of dollars or more, and. Um, and I remember uh, I was there with the, with the then head of the shopping centres council, and we were down at Parliament House. And the Premier had asked us to come down, and we looked at each other and sort of said, "Look, we're either going to be heroes or going to be out of a job." And it was that <laughs> simple, you know. Right. Um, and uh, you know, it worked out well. Well, that's good. Mm. What do they say? Today's rooster is tomorrow's feather duster. Yeah, but exactly. uh, you avoided going to the feather duster mm. Uh, mm. site. And so it's, it's interesting when I'm interviewing uh, people mm. for roles, we often. Uh, ask them to talk about uh, you know a recent career achievement that they're very proud of. Mm. You know, um, you've brought that one up. Obviously, mm. that's been quite a you know a, a pivotal um, achievement mm. in your own career. Um, what what do you think it was in terms of your own personal characteristics uh, uh, that it has uh, enabled you to be able to get that outcome and then use that as a platform for taking your career to where it is now. I think one of the main things is that because uh, I think what people, many people, don't understand is being ahead of an industry body is a very isolated, very you're you're, you're one person and sure. you're the head, you're there by yourself. And even though uh, you might have a board or a council around you, they generally have full well they all do have full time jobs. Yeah, your job is to protect them from any of the political stuff. Mm -hmm. So. You'd never want their business being tarred with a, bre the, uh, a brush that says, oh, they're Labor or Liberal, because you know, they can't take that role. So it's yeah. a very, 
you're out there by yourself. And I, I distinctly remember um, in the depths of this process when it got very, very ugly, I was invited by the government to meet with the then minister to sort of this thing out. Okay. And uh, went up to where it was supposed to be and then 20 minutes later got this call, oh no, the venue's been changed. Went down there and there was myself and two other colleagues. Uh, one of them was an industry person. Uh, and we walked in the room and there was about 50 uh, government people. There was uh, the, uh, the treasurer, the minister, two other ministers, all the DGs and all these other people and just little old us. Mm-hmm. You know, and so, and it was clearly a uh, an ambush. Okay, it was part of the strategy. Yeah, and I remember thinking, oh God, you know, this isn't going to go well. Mm. You know, this is uh, and um, I think I uh, I effectively lost my temper, which I, ne- I never do. Right, you know, and I here I was, little old me, going to the treasurer and the various ministers, you know, laying down the law that you never do this, and this is actually not how it's played, and right, yeah, you know, all this sort of stuff. But I, I never do, do this meaning. Never, you know, intentionally set up a meeting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, you to never ambush. Be deceitful about it. Sure. You know? And yeah. I've always been, and for me, that was a real compromise of my values. Mm-hmm. And I really, I let rip and, you know, and to the extent that it, that it just all fell apart. Right. You know, to the actual their meeting fell apart. The reason they were trying to do it. Sure. Uh, but I still maintained a relationship with people, and so yeah. there was some really strong lessons there about. Uh, relying on your values, mm-hmm. you know, and sticking with them. If you think that you know, you're right, you're right. You stick with it and mm-hmm. never compromise. Uh, and that was a, probably the, that was the pinnacle of the whole thing. Mm-hmm. Just be going, no, it's not happening, guys. Mm-hmm. This is what's going to happen. So for me, that's I've taken that forward mm-hmm. in the career. That and, and how was that received by the audience? Well, uh, it all well. Uh, most of the bureaucrats were you know, trying to hide, right, uh, at a political level. Uh, they tried something that didn't work, but, mm. you know, they're politicians, it's what they do. Sure. But if anything, it reinforced my standing and relationship with some of, with most okay. of them because uh, they thought, no, this guy's not going to stand down. You yeah. Know? Uh, and uh, if anything, I strengthened it and I've got some really strong relationships that continue on now. Right. So, so yeah. if anything, it was very positive, okay. um, but very tough to do. Yeah. yeah. I suppose uh, for a lot of people, they would look at that and, you know, uh, run a hundred miles in the other mm. direction and perhaps have an experience like that mm. and it dissuade them from wanting to continue to work in that kind of space mm. but it sounds like for you you know those kind of experiences have uh, strengthened your resolve to continue to work in this advocacy slash peak industry body space yeah well i think i've been fortunate in that you know i've had these wins right um and I've seen the results of those in terms of the sectors that I represented. Yeah, you know, they've been they've been quite beneficial. Even to when I went to moved on to the CEO of Kangaroos, mm-hmm. very different job, far more commercial, uh, a bigger organisation, mm. um, a lot of international trade responsibilities. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there. Uh, but part of the advocacy roles there was I remember distinctly that I, when I first sat down with the board, I said, "How's it all going with the industry?" and I, the response was, uh, oh, we've just been regulated by the government about, you know, because of the reef issues. Right. I said, well, what are you doing about it? They said, oh, we're fighting. We're fighting. And I said, well, how's it going? It's not going well. We're going backwards, you know. So they, so I then uh, went through a process, a very steep process of bringing in a, um, in, in convincing both sides of politics mm-hmm. to introduce a best management practice program, mm-hmm. remove the regulations. The government's, both sides committed to put money in. Uh, again, that was... 
a different sort of process because sure. it wasn't uh, thumping the table, it was more a negotiating uh, stance, which was really positive. So uh, I'm interested, you're pretty heavily invested in the property industry, mm. you've done master's level qualifications in mm. property. What was it that took you out of property council and then into cane growers, which is you know quite a different business? Yeah, it's a very different business. I think the main attraction was well, probably a number of areas. I'd always I'd had a strong connection with the cane industry. My family in all Queensland yeah, sure. had grown up in cane. I'd never worked on a cane farm, never owned one, but all my cousins and all that sort of stuff. Uh, so a strong connection there. I think the other thing was that it was a far more commercial mm-hmm. operation, and you know, and I was finally in charge of the the, mm-hmm. the national organisation, even though based in Brisbane, it is a national organisation. That was really important for me. But the other one was that it uh, gave me the opportunity to do a whole lot of international work um, in uh, London and Brussels and Asia and South Africa of all places. You know, so uh, that uh, broadened. The, uh, my career and brought my exposure to some of the international issues of dealing with the European Union, mm-hmm. which you never ever ever want to do if you had done if you don't have to. Sure, uh, very frustrating. Um, but also, I spent a lot of time in Canberra. Mm-hmm. You know, I spent about almost lived down there for eighteen months, lobbying for a particular reform that we needed the government to um, to respond to, uh, and learned a, a, a lot about. Uh, the national political processes. And I think I spent so much time there and there I actually got to enjoy living in Canberra. Right. 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 And uh, and so when you left that business eventually after three years mm. and you look back on, on that period, you know, what would be uh, a couple of key achievements um, that you're most proud of? Well, I think one of the main was was the to, was realigning the organisation. Mm-hmm. Uh, I took over after a, a very good CEO that had been there for 20 years. Yeah. Uh, and the organisation was largely reflective of his, him, his personality, his way of doing things. Sure. Very good at what he did and achieved yeah, fantastic results. Uh, so it was a big challenge for me to come in there and actually uh, do some new things like a genuine strategic plan. Mm-hmm. The organisation hadn't really needed because they had this such a powerhouse of a CEO before. Um, as well as that, the uh, in terms of the government's arrangements, they're all very. They needed modernising. Mm-hmm. Uh, they had a board, but they didn't even really understand their board responsibilities. So there's some really good challenges there. Uh, staffing, a lot of need for turnover there. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I did a lot of that. They also had a property portfolio that needed to uh, uh, be totally refreshed. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think all those, yeah, in terms of the, the governance arrangements, the organisations, for me that was uh, very rewarding, you know, actually getting into the organisation, lifting that to a level, uh, initiating a whole range of things there. So I knew that when I left, it was actually very stable and in a better place. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so what was it that motivated you? Did you exit there to start Queensland Futures? No, I actually, uh, I'd been there enough. You know, it was one of those organisations when it was 24-7, um, literally 24-7. And I'd get, you know, we had over 5,000 farmer members. Mm-hmm. And farmers, uh, they're a unique unique member. Yeah. If they've got a good idea at 3 o'clock in the morning, that's when they'll ring you up sure. and have a chat. Yeah. You know? So, and uh, I needed a break. You know, I was doing too much travel. I was either, I lived on a plane. Mm-hmm. I literally 
was at the pointy end of the plane, which sounds sexy at the start. It is for the first month, but when you're doing it for year after year, oh, for sure, it's just it was I was bucket. Yeah, um, hadn't seen my kids uh, for about two two and a half years. You know? Okay, so I'd really left my personal life behind. So I took a uh, about a six month break, and that's when I was just testing new opportunities, new ideas, and that's where I got a call from Jim. Uh, one afternoon, he said, "Mate, do you feel like a red wine?" And right, that's led into the QFI. Sure, mm. I mean, uh, no doubt the relationship with him was uh, founded during your time with Property Council mm. because he mm. had a very heavy involvement in the property industry. Absolutely, yeah. And so um, uh, you uh, had your um, wine with him, and and mm. it started what is now Queensland Futures, and uh, mm. we've spoken about that. And at the same time, you've been doing some other things too. You've been doing some consulting work and mm. a bit of board work and so on. Tell us a bit about yeah, that. Yeah, so I've um, I've joined uh, as an advisor. I've joined uh, BDO and, yeah. um, in their advisory area. And in fact, it was one of those uh, things that happened in Brisbane is that I'd employed BDO to help me develop the strategic plan for cane growers. Right. And in that process, had uh, developed a really strong professional relationship with uh, Karina Collins, who heads up their national advisory arm. Terribly smart person and mm-hmm. very, very capable and good fun too. Uh, and uh, I was talking to her one day and she said, oh, you know, have you got some ideas about where you'd like to take a business? And I started talking about the, the opportunities around a public policy advisory business, mm-hmm. which is essentially about uh, helping government work better with business and industry mm-hmm. because government really doesn't get them. And vice versa. Mm-hmm. So it's more, it's not a, it's far from, it's never be a lobbying role. I don't, sure. There's a lot of other organisations do that. And in, I think where the real benefit is actually working with this, organ, within organisations mm. and building their capacity to engage in the public policy process. So that's what I'm setting up now and um, it's looking very, very good. Okay. Uh, under the BDO umbrella? Under the BDO umbrella, yeah. Right. Okay. Yeah. It's interesting, I mean, uh, from an outsider, mm. you'd think government and business have had to deal with each other forever. Why is it that even now there seems to be, from what you're saying, mm. you know, a um, a lack of awareness and a lack of capability of sort of having quality relationship? Well, I think it's it's the nature of the people that are attracted to the different areas, and even right. the not for profit. Yeah, you know, if you look at the the tripartite of, of government, and business, and not for profits. Right. The the skill sets that you need are very are often very different, right? And the the transfer of people between those three areas is often very limited. Oh, sure. You know, Absolutely. so their experiences are limited. Yeah. And so, you know, you'll you'll you know, I've seen it time and time again. You'll come across a CEO that's been very successful in his business operation. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, and basically has a way of operating, you know, particularly if they own the business, where they just tell their staff what to do, and that's what happens. Yeah. Uh, but when they get to government, they go, well, you got you as government, they see them as another service provider. Right. And they try and tell a minister, well, you've got to do that. Sure. You know? And the minister yeah. goes, it doesn't work like that. Right. And, and for this person in business, that's what they've always done. And to right. be told that they've got to operate in a different way, mm. that they've got no experience, no exposure to, or very limited, mm. uh, uh, you know, it's just... You, you, they're back to basic, back to basics, you know. Mm-hmm. And the same with government. You know, the, some, there's many people in government that that's, a, that's all they've ever done. Mm-hmm. They've never. And I remember talking to a close friend of mine during the depths of the uh, mid 2008, end of 2008, when all the private firms were just sacking. You know, you know 50 people here, 100 people there right. every day. It was yes, just yeah. ugly. 
and in talking to him, and he looked, and he'd always been a public servant. Right. And he said to me, "But why don't they just keep them going? Why don't they just keep them going until it gets it's over?" And I said, "They can't. Yeah, he couldn't appreciate from the security of government. Yeah, that you'd actually have to sack people to keep the company alive. Yeah, that never happens in government. Mm. It just goes on. They just change, you know, increase taxes, mm-hmm. and they, they just you know, lumber on mm-hmm. inefficiently." But he couldn't understand that mm-hmm. that's what ha- people had to do. Mm-hmm. A very smart person. Yeah. But his experience just wouldn't. And I think that's that to me cemented uh, as to why there's a, a really strong business opportunity here sure. in public policy advisory. Uh, and I think a lot of the not-for-profits too, they, for different reasons, they really struggle to deal with government. Um, uh, and advocacy is a big, you know, important part of mm-hmm. what they do for their mm-hmm. members. Mm-hmm. Interesting, yeah. It's um, it, you, you're almost like a, a translator in one respect, mm, mm. Uh, because they have their own unique language and their mm. own uh, unique sort of cultural uh, imperatives and mm. so on. Mm. Fascinating. Yeah, translation, and that's exactly what right. it's turning one language into another. Yeah. in such a way they can understand it. And that's, right. that's exactly how it's been described. Yeah. Mm. Okay. Great. And um, and for a little while, you've been uh, in the not-for-profit sector in terms of having a board role. Mm-hmm. Uh, which recently ended, is that correct? Yeah, yeah, I, I, uh, I'm getting too busy. So, right. Uh, but yeah, I, I've enjoyed that. I, it actually happened when I was at, uh, I picked this up when I was at uh, Canberra. I was a good friend of mine, uh, rang me up and sort of said, Steve, you know, there's this great role going and um, at uh, Epilepsy Queensland, which mm-hmm. uh, I thought about it and I thought, oh, that'd be great because I've never actually given back, in, to so, to, so to speak. Sure. Yeah, it was very enjoyable. I, I, I found that then I had a range of skills that I just assumed that were normal mm-hmm. uh, experiences that I could then, particularly in terms of that public policy engagement, mm-hmm. uh, that I could actually contribute uh, very effectively to the organisation. Okay. So um, that's very rewarding. And I'll probably do some more after I get through this little hump of work at the moment. Right. Uh, but yeah, I, it's one of those things I've... My experiences are so positive that I recommend that to anyone. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Um, okay, so uh, one of the premises of this uh, particular podcast is for people who are aspiring to become CEOs and mm. not executive directors to listen to those who have walked the path before them mm. and uh, learn from their uh, experience and wisdom and mm. so on. So if you were distilling your ethos in relation to career and leadership and so on uh, into a few key points, you know, what, what would you say are some of the key learnings for you that have enabled you to achieve what you have? A couple of the key learnings would be that for a start, um, always have a go. I mean, I think the thing to remember is that uh, uh, all CEOs at one stage weren't CEOs. Right. Uh, and for a lot of them, there's, it, yeah, it's always, for a lot of people, I think it's a big, big leap. Um, to actually make that and a big uh, leap to the role of CEO. Yeah, yeah, I think so. For a lot of right. people, it's not a natural. Uh, for a lot of people, I think they put off having a go, and I think, you know, sometimes you just got to close your eyes and give it a go. Yeah, and see what happens out of that. I think in terms of the role of the CEO, um, and again, the CEOs and the CEOs, you know, they, they're they're very they can be very, very different positions, other than that they are the intersection between a board mm-hmm. and an executive. Um, and that role of managing that and communicating between the two is critical. Uh, and I think, if anything, it's about managing and working with the board. You know, it's really focusing on what your role as a CEO is in that board role. 
Uh, and again, depending on the on the on, on the on the board itself, sometimes, particularly the not for profit, your role is, is to actually almost you know guide that board mm-hmm. in terms of its responsibilities because a lot of people on those not for profits they don't have many skills. They're there because of a passion or a sure. belief. Yeah. So you know your role there is to actually fully understand the role, the governance roles of a board, and to actually guide them. At the same time, you've got to provide that leadership. For your executive too, and sometimes, uh, yeah. So you've got to, you've got to almost be multi-skilled. Not mm-hmm. only you can't just be a good leader uh, in terms of being a good executive leader. It's about those governance understandings. Too. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It seems to me that uh, a big part of your career success is uh, the ability to uh, moderate different opinion and get people to you know work towards a shared goal, mm-hmm. whether it's mm-hmm. government versus business mm-hmm. or you know, um, uh, the various stakeholders associated with Property Council and cane growers and now, you know, Queensland mm. Futures and so on. Um, uh, what, in terms of developing your own skill set in being able to do that, what are some of the resources that have been useful to you? Well, in terms of some of the resources, uh, you know, and I suppose a big part of, you know, people talk about networking and, uh, yeah. and keeping in touch with people. Um, that is critical uh, in a place like Queensland because you know the, you talk about yeah, everyone the, they talk about globally there's six degrees of separation. Yeah. In Queensland, it's probably two. Yeah. You know, a lot of people say that. Yeah, yeah. So Queensland, you know, even that's what three or four million people. Everyone knows someone who knows someone. Sure. Um, and I think that networking and just understanding and listening to people mm. uh, from all walks of life is very, very powerful. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, you know, it's, and it's not done in a mercenary sense that you might get a benefit out of this. Mm-hmm. It's done in such a way that, that yeah, people are interesting and mm-hmm. their jobs are interesting. And I've always found that, and I've got quite a, a detailed and extensive network now, uh, that process of just engaging with people mm-hmm. um, and always treating them as, you know, as because everyone's there doing their job and they're doing it, you know, you know 99.9% are doing it because they, are doing their job and they're doing mm-hmm. it well. Mm-hmm. They might have a, opposing opinions or anything like that, but that's their job mm-hmm. you know, and respecting that. Uh, but in terms of the tools, LinkedIn for me has been very powerful. Sure. Yeah, it's a really, I, uh, I remember um, I was at the Property Council and I think I'd heard of Facebook and uh, and then uh, Guy Gibson, who's with Lendlease. Yeah, I know Guy. Very, uh, Guy's, he's, ever since LinkedIn first uh, was out there, Guy's been on it, you know. Right. And, uh, he was talking to the whole board about this thing called LinkedIn. I had a look at it and went, oh, okay. And ever since then, I've uh, I've used it. And it's a great tool if you use it smartly, mm-hmm. you know, in terms of, you know, I, I have informal policies that unless, you know, I get invitations to connect every day, but unless I have met the person, mm-hmm. I, you know, just say no, mm-hmm. or just refuse it. Uh, so I've got little policies like that and I keep it for business, mm-hmm. you know, and so... That's my, the way I deal with it. It's a great networking tool. It's a professional networking tool. Um, if I know the people, I'll connect with them. If I don't know them, I don't connect with them. And if you want to do social media, it's Facebook and those sort of things. You, yeah, you yeah. separate the two. Yeah, look, I agree completely. And as you know, I'm a, a very strong advocate in LinkedIn. Of LinkedIn. Yeah, uh, yeah. And uh, I, I think that it is an incredible tool if used intelligently. Mm. Let's um, look to the future now. Uh, mm. You know, if we were sitting down having a conversation in sort of five to 10 years' time, what are some of the, the things you'd hope you'd achieved professionally by then? Uh, look, there's a couple of things. One, um, 
I would like to see the Futures Institute or the concept of the Futures Institute uh, uh, have grown more broadly. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, at least, you know, across a number of the other states. Yeah. I'd like to see it moving down New South Wales, Victoria, Canberra. Um, not as a national organisation, but I think the strength of the QFI is that it is state-focused. Mm -hmm. Most of your organisations, uh, like your CEDA, which does a fantastic job, uh, AISCD, which is one of our governance, most, most jobs you see are really a, they're national organisations mm -hmm. in some sort, either federated or corporatised, uh, and those national issues are then talked about at a state level. Mm -hmm. I think the strength of what the QFI is trying to do is actually focus on just those state issues mm -hmm. you know, and what the states can do to improve uh, the social and economic uh, conditions and well-being for their people, irrespective of what the federal government does. Mm. And I think just focusing on their own their own house. And I think there's no real other organisation doing that to mm -hmm. the extent that we do it. So I'd like to see that broadened. Um, I, uh, I haven't ruled out yet of moving to a uh, another executive role, although I must admit I enjoy the flexibility of you know, sure. sleeping in and all that sort of stuff, which you don't get. Uh, but it had to be the right one. I'm quite mm -hmm. picky now. Mm -hmm. um, it had to be quite an influential role, but we'll, uh, that may or may not happen. Um, but also another, I've got a couple of other private business ventures that I'm looking at now. I've got a partner that we're looking at totally different areas. Right. You know, so experiments. I think at this stage, uh, if I don't do those sort of things now, I'll never do them. I don't yeah. want to look back and say, I didn't have a go. Sure. Yeah. Well, you've mentioned that a few times. Uh, mm. Mm. You know, it's uh, it, the time is now. Yeah. Um, and But, I mean, the reality is, uh, I think I'm 48, you're 50. Mm. Uh, mm. You know, we will most likely be working into our 70s. Absolutely. Hopefully out of... Uh, desire rather than necessity yeah. so there's still plenty of time isn't there that's right there, and, and i absolutely agree i have said and i tell everyone this and I, some people agree with me some people look at me weirdly but i you know i want to be working into my 70s and i want to be doing it in such a way that it's just the normal part of my life i sure. enjoy working yeah uh and you know i want to have the flexibility mm -hmm. so i want to be able to take off for three months and go mm -hmm. travel alaska whatever it's going to be yeah but I don't see, I think, yeah, as long as you don't see work as work, if you mm -hmm. see it as a important and rewarding part of your life, mm -hmm. you know, you, you'll do this thing, if it's, you know, if you don't regard it in the negative term as work, yeah. for the rest of your life. Your vocation. Yeah, yeah that's right. Yeah, that's yeah. right. And it's just such an important part of who you are and, and what you, you know, what you do. Yeah. Well, that's a lovely segue into my last question, which mm. is uh, when you, we've talked a lot about work today, but when you're not working, what are some of the things you enjoy uh, doing uh, in your uh, private time? Look, I've, uh, I've got th uh, three children who are still <laughs> well and truly at home. I've right. Got a, uh, my daughter's 20. My son is uh, final year of uh, school, so he's grade 12. And a, a daughter, another daughter who's... Uh, Grade six. Okay, right. So uh, that's a big part of my life. Sure. Uh, and uh, we do a lot of camping, travel, okay. uh, that sort of stuff, a lot of sport, of course. But I'm finding it very exciting. But I can see, well, not with a 12-year-old daughter, but I can see a light at the end of the tunnel right. where things are going to change significantly. And that's, right. that's quite good. But, you know, this day and age, I don't think those kids are ever going to leave home. <laughs> <laughs> well, look, uh, my youngest is four, so yeah. I, I've got a long, long yes. road ahead of me, that's for sure. Well, look, I really appreciate your time today, mm. Steve. It's been a really interesting conversation. Mm. 
we will put in the show notes uh, links to uh, Queensland Futures Institute mm. and some of the other things you talked about today. Mm. I'm sure, uh, given that Steve has uh, talked about LinkedIn, uh, for those people who want to uh, uh, reach out to Steve, you just have to make sure when you invite him, you put some context in there uh, so he accepts your invitation. A, cu- a cup of coffee. That's and right. Then, uh, then I can formally accept it. Fair yeah. enough. Well, look, um, uh, thanks again and have a fantastic afternoon. Thanks again for the uh, invitation, Richard. A really pleasure. No worries. Well, I wish you the best of success in all of your endeavours until we catch up again on the Arate podcast. Have a fantastic day. Music